The scripture lesson comes from Romans. I'll be reading from chapter 4. I'll read verses 1 through 5 and then verse 13 through 17. So what are we going to say? Are we going to find that Abraham is our ancestor on the basis of genealogy? Because if Abraham was made righteous because of his actions, he would have had a reason to brag, but not in front of God. What does the scripture say? Abraham had faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Workers' salaries aren't credited to them on the basis of an employer's grace, but rather on the basis of what they deserve. But faith is credited as righteousness to those who don't work because they have faith in God who makes the ungodly righteous. Down at verse 13, it continues. The promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he would inherit the world didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness that comes from faith. If they inherit because of the law, then faith has no effect and the promise has been canceled. The law brings about wrath, but when there isn't any law, there isn't any violation of the law. That's why the inheritance comes through faith so that it will be on the basis of God's grace. In that way, the promise is secure for all of Abraham's descendants, not just for those who are related by law, but also for those who are related by the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have appointed you to be the father of many nations. So, Abraham is our father in the eyes of God in whom he had faith. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that don't exist into existence. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. If you step back 2,000 years before the time of Jesus, you can learn that Abraham, around 100 years old, and Sarah, his wife, around 90 years old, received God's promise that they'll have a child. And in case you don't remember the chronology of scientific progress, they did not yet practice in vitro fertilization or procedures that would allow a mother to carry the fertilized egg of her daughter and thus give birth to her own grandchild. The promise to Abraham and Sarah is outside the realm of the possible, and Sarah, and I'm sure a great many of her friends and neighbors, laugh at the idea. One writer, in fact, determines this was an ancient joke. In fact, maybe one of the Jewish people's first recorded jokes. Abraham has times of serious wondering about this laughable promise. Now, faith, as found in the story of Abraham and Sarah, isn't any old belief in magical things. Faith in this story is continuing to live in the face of isolation and perhaps even hardship and mockery. Faith, at least in this story, is acting when it would be easier to stay frozen and fearful. Faith in this story is moving forward and acting like you're not all alone, even when there are those who might be laughing behind your back or even to your face. Abraham isn't a riverboat gambler who says, 
I'm desperate, so I'm going to put all my chips on this God number and just hope I win. Instead, Abraham just keeps moving forward even when life deals him some very unexpected turns. Faithfulness, steadfastness, determined stick-to-itness, for which Abraham is our example and often called the father of our faith. Now, people view examples as differently as they view heroes. If I were just to recite a list of our last, oh, say, dozen or so U.S. presidents and the yeas and the boos elicited among us, they, they would make different, plain what I'm talking about. People likewise interpret examples differently from the Bible and especially in sermons. The truth is people usually remember a sermon's examples and certainly the jokes and forget why they're told much of the information. So that's why I am saying that people can even disagree on the meaning of Abraham's example. The majority of Jews in Paul's time, the author of this reading today, considered Abraham an example of obedience. Paul sweeps aside the rabbi's traditional understanding of the Hebrew scriptures and points to the Bible's record. Genesis chapter 15 states that Abraham was considered righteous for trusting God. And this in nine chapters before the Bible mentions God's pleasure in Abraham's obeying God. Trusting that we will live. Trusting that we can do difficult things. Trusting that there is enough blessing and abundance in God's creation. These are all things Abraham did, and they're all things, I think, that are important for us today as well. You know, I guess I thought about it, and I think it's safe to say that at least in some regards, faith might be a lot like getting married. We promise one another to be faithful, and we promise then, and we try our best, however challenging it may be at times, to trust one another. And so it was with Abraham and God, and so it is with all who attempt to trust. Our faith is set in motion, and we are determined and moving forward through life, however imperfectly, aware that we are likely in over our heads, sound like marriage, but committed to facing life with the underlying hope that wherever we go and whatever we do, somehow, we're going to be okay in the end. We do not operate under the foolish assumption that we are indestructible, but instead we operate with the underlying knowledge that faith in action is where we find that which is truly meaningful. That faith in action is where we find that which is truly holy and truly fulfilling. You know, people can try to divert or subvert that central understanding of faith as progress or faith as faithful action. But Paul and Abraham always bring us back to the notion that faith and faithfulness are moving targets. The family of an eastern Iowa four-year-old girl who lost her sight because of the flu is still working through all that happened in the past few months. Have you heard the story? What complicates this story, at least for me, is that Jade DeLucia's parents did not get her a flu shot. They had gotten her a flu shot in March 2019, but they didn't realize they were supposed to get her a flu shot at the beginning of winter for the next flu season. But Jade's parents did do an amazing job of staying on top of what she needed once they realized she was in trouble. And that's the main positive of the story I wish to focus on. Just before Christmas, 
Jade's mom said she knew that Jade had a cold. She said she was still running around and playing with her sister, so I didn't really think too much of it. But by the next morning, little Jade, four-year-old Jade, was unresponsive. So her parents rushed her to the emergency room, and then she was life-flighted on a helicopter to the University of Iowa Steed Family Children's Hospital. For about four hours, it was really rough. We weren't really sure if we were going to lose her there, Jade's mom said. After several weeks in the hospital recovering, Jade made progress, but a complication from the flu caused her to lose her sight. Her pupils were basically the size of her entire eye, and she just had a blank look on her face, as Jade's mom described it. The University of Iowa Steed Family Children's Hospital doctor, Teresa Check met Jade when she was on full life support in the pediatric intensive care unit. She had a condition called acute necrotizing encephalopathy, secondary to influenza B, said Dr. Check. At that point, the neurologist was pretty honest with us, and we're not really sure what is going to be long-term complications, what's going to happen, Jade's mom said. That was a very hard day. After each low point, though, little Jade would bounce back. And a few weeks after leaving the hospital, she regained her sight. She was following people around. She was giving high fives, and it was awesome, Jade's mom said. It was so cool she was able to see again. It was the very best thing in all of our lives together. And at a recent checkup, Dr. Check saw Jade's transformation from a critically ill four-year-old patient to a regular four-year-old at her checkup. She's such a bright, cheerful girl who's full of love, and I'm really, really happy she's making a good recovery, Dr. Check said. Jade and her family are hopeful for a healthy future for little Jade and are looking forward to being able to celebrate a Christmas in 2020 that Jade can see for herself. It will be a little bit more joyous since we have Jade again. I think it will be a really good Christmas this year, her mom said. Jade has an appointment with an eye specialist to find out what's next in her healing process in the coming days. And Dr. Check said, that next year, as Jade starts kindergarten, doctors will continue to monitor her development. Now this story so far has a happy ending. And we don't know from the news stories about Jade if her parents did this or not, but I'll bet you if I had been one of the parents, or maybe if you had, there would have been prayers like this. God, if you'll just spare Jade this time, I'll do that thing, whatever that is. Have you ever tried to cut a deal with God? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I'll join that church. I'll read my Bible. I'll, I'll say I'm sorry to that person that I, that I was so mean to. Uh, you know, one time or another, we may have all tried to bargain with God that way. I'll, I'll pay you my good deeds, God, if you'll reward me in my current situation. Usually do we do that when we're younger, but in a crisis, the urge to bargain with God as they say, pops up like mushrooms after a summer rain. It doesn't get us anywhere except maybe our offering great terms to God we hope will earn God's pity. If we're trying to get God into God's good graces with our excellent deeds or big prayers or big promises, it means we're actually attempting to be in control. And faith is not about control. In fact, if we could control or manipulate our own circumstances or manipulate or control God or anyone else, 
Why would we need faith at all? Faith means acting faithfully even when we cannot see beyond the next right thing. And Paul calls this kind of relationship grace. It's the same way God treated Abraham. Abraham didn't earn it. Abraham just trusted things were somehow going to work themselves out if he just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And more times than not, things do generally work out, not always perfectly, but they work out a lot better when we put one foot in front of the other than when we sit at home paralyzed in fear, wondering what might have been. If you simply must use legal categories, as Paul did, in, in our scripture lesson today, to conceive of one's relationship with God, then God will just have to surprise you in those terms. Take you to court, despite the stacks of evidence that indicate you've been less than faithful at various times in your life, and then do something shocking, acquit you. That's what Paul is saying in verse 5. But to one who without works trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. To justify the ungodly means even to acquit the guilty. So God chooses because of our trusting in this miracle promise of forgiveness to acquit us of all of the ways and all of the times that we've come up short in the past. It sounds unjust for a judge to acquit the guilty, but that is just how incomprehensible the grace of God is to our modern minds. What an upside-down way to turn things right side up. Having been surprised by grace, we are now looking to surprise others by offering this odd but refreshing grace to them as well. But now, it's a family project. It's a relationship that has a different basis than, as Paul would call it, the law. Now, as people who have experienced grace set in motion by faith, we work for one another. We work to support those around us in trust, in gratitude, in love, and we do it not in order to gain favor or status. We do it to live out our faith because it's the natural response once we've experienced the depths of grace deep within the recesses of our soul. We don't calculate how much excellent activity we have to complete in order to buy our ticket to heaven. We simply do what needs to be done. We simply see who needs to be touched, and we touch them. We simply see who needs to be helped, and we help them, not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, not because we're holier than thou. We simply lift those who need lifting. We serve those who need serving. We encourage those who need encouraging as they appear right in front of our noses. And we do the touching, and we do the helping, and we do the lifting, and we do the serving, and we do the encouraging someone because, well, it's what needs to be done. It's the faithful response to grace. Those undeserved, unmerited favors God gives us. You know, Lent is not a time, contrary to how some Christians have historically practiced it, to work our way into the good graces of God but Lent is a time to concentrate on God's good grace working itself out through us. 
So we have Paul's example of Abraham as he trusted in this grace. And the goal of our life with God is others being blessed by our faith and faithfulness and surprised when we offer grace instead of judgment. When we offer grace instead of bitterness. That's Abraham's example in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's the central message Paul writes here as he instructs new Christians in Rome. Faith, character-transforming, life-centering, gratitude-producing faith is what the Scripture commends to us today. That first question still pulls at my heart. So what are we going to say? Paul abruptly forces the question. Are we going to find that Abraham is our ancestor on the basis of genealogy? These are rhetorical questions if you didn't catch that the first time we read it, where Paul already knows the real answer before he asks us. No, we shouldn't wait and hope we get lucky enough to get lumped into the same conversations as Abraham because he shows up in our Ancestry.com family tree report. No, instead we should endeavor to live our lives as courageously as Abraham, who had the audacity to respond in faith to the odd news of grace. We tend to look for evidence that someone, be it God or our neighbor, owes us something, or that we owe them something, but Abraham had the vision, the wisdom, and the spiritual foresight to see beyond this human economy and straight into how the economy of God really works. In the economy of God, grace is the gross domestic product, and faith is the currency that sets this grace in motion. What are we going to say? I think the writer of the hymn said it well. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Thanks be to God. Amen.